what's the difference between contentment and striving to show up in life and be better? It's a fine line, right? The way that I look at Santosha and contentment within a metaphor is picture the ocean. At the very top, it's really wavy, right? There's a lot of chop, there's a lot of waves. But if you go down deeper, swim down maybe to the middle of the ocean or even the bottom of the ocean, there's a stillness there. Welcome to your weekly woo. I'm Julie Heishi. And I'm Lindsay Page. We come to you today to shed light on unconventional methods of healing, living, being in the world. While some people may call these practices woo, we're here to talk about merging the spiritual with the practical, about becoming empowered to choosing your journey to wholeness. Everyone's path to finding joy is a unique and beautiful game of trial and error, full of important lessons. We're here to share our journey, our experiences, and our truth, so maybe your road doesn't have to be as bumpy as ours was, or simply to remind you that you're not alone. We bring on guests to join us for these chats so they can impart their wisdom and probably teach us a thing or two as well. We believe empowerment comes from knowledge and frame of mind. You may see or care for yourself differently after learning a new perspective. This creates a ripple effect for how you show up in the world. So take what sticks and leave the rest. You are your own greatest healer, your own guide, your own guru. We're here to take this journey with you one woo conversation at a time. When I first read through Santosha, I just flipped open the yamas and niyamas and started reading it. And it was resonating because we're living in a time where we're we're exiting the pandemic and everybody's looking to get back to what they think life should resemble or be like. And all of that's valid. And what Deborah Adele was talking about in the Yamas and Niyamas is discontentment and depletion of your energy and vitality and joy is spent looking for something outside of yourself. And there's a quote in the book that says, well, there's a bunch that I really liked. The one (laughs) that I like highlighted and wrote is discontentment is the illusion that there can be something else in the moment when in fact there can't be. So you're looking for something to be different, whether it's that person is happier than me because they have X, Y, Z, because they have Mm -hmm. the car, because they have the house, because they have the relationship, because they're in shape. And if I had that, then I would also be happy. And there's a perception that there's something else outside of you that can fix whatever you're feeling or not feeling inside. Yeah. Mm, Yeah, it's a big lesson. It's a big lesson. How is that sort of coming up for you? Like, obviously, you flipped it open and started reading it for a reason, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I wanted to have this conversation because it resonated and I started thinking about it to try and give it a positive frame Mm. for our listeners. Interesting. It didn't feel right to present it that way because I'm in the messy middle of like contentment and discontentment. Yeah. And you're not alone in that. I know you know that, but I feel like I felt the need to say it. And so the practice is acknowledging that and naming it. And also, what's the difference between, I mean, I kind of know, but what's the difference between contentment 
and striving to show up in life and be better. Mm. It's a fine line, right? The way that I look at Santosha and contentment within a metaphor is picture the ocean. At the very top, it's really wavy, right? There's a lot of chop. There's a lot of waves. But if you go down deeper, swim down maybe to the middle of the ocean or even the bottom of the ocean, there's a stillness there. And so at the surface level, we have this sort of like rough, chaotic, um, it's like emotional turbulence, right? All of those um, surface level emotions like fear or anxiety or jealousy or depression or anger or like anything, they're all there and they're just sort of like bumping up against each other and rocking us all over the place, like if we picture ourselves in a boat. But when we go down deeper, there is this sort of like innate stillness and there is sort of this like innate joy or bliss. And I think we get sort of stuck on the surface level really often, which is normal, right? Like we're humans, we're having a human experience. Those emotions come from different things, right? We're we're blessed to have a brain that gives us a memory. And some of those emotions can come from past memories. We're also blessed with a mind that lets us plan and project. But sometimes we get stuck in the planning and projecting. And so all of those emotions, like the surface level emotions, obviously they mean something, right? They're like almost like a warning sign that says, hey, like, let's address something. But they're not necessarily who we are, right? Like at the core of our being, there is this innate stillness, this innate joy or bliss, if you want to call it that, like from the koshas, like the very center of our being is this, the bliss body, the Atman, the soul of us. And I think, you know, myself included, I get wrapped up in those surface level emotions and the collective right now, I think is wrapped up in those emotions because there's a lot to process. There's you a know? lot going there's on. so much. But I want you to go back to what you said about like the emotions not being us. I think that's a really important distinction. In the yoga sutras and yoga philosophy, they're the kleshas. So the kleshas are our mental states that cloud our mind and they, they manifest in like unwholesome actions, right? That's sort of what the kleshas are. They're, they're veils, if you will, that conceal our inner peace and our radiance, our bliss, our joy. The kleshas are from our past. They're from projections from the future. There's five different kleshas. It's basically just us being clouded. It's our innate essence or our true highest self being being concealed in a way. So the first is avidya, and it's <clears throat> the ignorance of our divinity leading us away from our inner peace. So it's sort of like that not knowing or not trusting. And then there's Asmita, which is mistaking ego, which I think might answer the question that you had before, right? Of like, what's the balance between like me being content and me searching for more? So mistaking ego is like pride and limiting beliefs with our true self saying, I can't do this. I can't do that. The next one is it's Raja. And that's the overattachment to pleasurable things. So like, I'm going to have all of the cheeseburgers. (laughs) 
I'm going to have all of the relaxation and no work. I'm going to really identifying and attaching to pleasurable things. And then there's the opposite, which is devasha, and that's the hate or aversion to things. That's I don't want to get up in the morning and do X, Y, or Z. And then the last one is fear of dying. And so all of these kleshas cloud our mind. They cloud ourselves from our highest, truest self, meaning those sort of surface level emotions aren't us. They're a manifestation of something that might be out of balance, something that might be concealed. And we get to the root of that by peeling back the layers of the onion, like right one piece at a time, getting to the root of where those emotions are coming from. And really just remembering that joy is Joy is in the here and now. Bliss is in the here and now. Can I tell you a story from my week? Yes. (laughs) I've had a very busy work week. And three days ago, I knew that I had to do these things in this sequence and had to go pick up these groceries and take them to this spot and have this delivery and go to this appointment. And I make my own schedule and there's flexibility within it. But these were the sequence of events that, that were lined up. I don't drive my car a lot because I'm in, in a, I'm in an area where I can walk to a lot of things. But today was a day that I needed to drive my car. I go out to my car. I hadn't been there. I hadn't driven it in a couple of days. And my door locks won't open. Oh, my God. So I'm like, okay, crap. I guess the battery to the fob died. I go back in. I find the fob. I go back out. And the second fob doesn't work. And I'm like, how do I get into my car with an electronic fob? I've only had this car for eight months. Mm -hmm. So I immediately feel fear of insecurity or like strandedness, not being able to fulfill the needs that I had for the day. And I was like, how do I get in my car? Like, I can't even get into it to pop the hood. Like, what is going on? And I was so confused. So I Google. So I look at my fob. I find the like old school key. And then I Google like how to get into it if it's died. So I have to figure that piece out. And there's some piece of plastic that you have to pop off the door that you would never know is there. Get into it. And I see that I had left my lights running. Oh my God, this is such a multifaceted story. I love it. Okay. So I've Uh... had this car for eight months. So it's an older but nice car. My car that I had previously, you could leave the, it's automatic lights, but if you leave them on, they'll turn off. You know, they're on a timer. Well, apparently this car doesn't have a timer. Oh, no. <laughs> so that's why the car died. So did you have to turn to good old well, Google again? I mean, <laughs> figure I mean it that's out. what AAA is for. So thank God I didn't let my AAA mm-hmm. lapse. And because um, I almost did. I was like, oh, I don't need it. It's fine. It's an expense I can do without this year guess not (laughs) so then I go on this wild goose chase mind you supposedly this battery had been replaced four months ago so there's the whole issue of like why is this battery so dead you know the AAA guy gets there and like every time and he goes he feeds me a line because I end up going to the mechanic to get a new battery. And it's just like, oh, we could have done this in the field. I guess he just didn't have the battery with him or whatever it was. So I go on this mm-hmm. wild goose chase and I'm like feeling kind of like upset, right? Because I have all these things to do. I don't have a car. I'm feeling stranded. But you know what? It was a beautiful day in the Queen City. I was in the lovely, you know, uptown of the Queen City. I, I picked... I was able to go to a place that was local, 
to me, that was close. That was in walking distance of like all these shops and restaurants. And I kept feeling this, this pull of like, this day isn't what it was supposed to be. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to work? Where am I supposed to go to work? I have to do X, Y, and Z. Now what? And then I just kind of sat back and I was trying to tell myself, nothing's going to blow up if you don't do this list today. Yeah. Go and have a nice lunch at your favorite, you know, vegan restaurant. Go have a nice coffee in the coffee shop next door. It wasn't the end of the world by any means. And it was just a huge inconvenience in trying to find mm-hmm. the calm center amongst like something that I can't control. Mm. So how did you do that? Was that like an internal dialogue situation? Was I noticed what was going on. I asked myself, I mentally went through the checklist of what can I control? What do I need to do differently? What are my options? And I came to the conclusion of it's best if I just stay here around my car. In the end, it all worked out. I made arrangements and pushed everything to the end of the day. I enjoyed my day instead of being upset. I was thankful for the fact that I could have the money to put a new battery in my car and just accepted it for what it was instead of fighting against it. Going back to the quote of discontentment is the illusion that there can be something else in the moment when in fact there can't be. Just expecting, you know, Mm -hmm. for things to be different isn't going to make it different or wishing that it was different. There's a quote in the book, the one that I quoted earlier, Yamas and Niyamas, that says, when it rains, I let it. And Mm. the takeaway is that seeking and avoiding, seeking something different or avoiding what is there are expensive uses of our energy. Yeah. We have a choice in every single facet of, of that, right? We have a choice in all parts of our lives to act and respond in a certain way and we can choose to freak out and let our emotions like bring us into this place of dis-ease or depression or we can choose to move forward with gratitude like you said acceptance or surrender (laughs) in my earlier life oh one thing happens days ruined and that was a really miserable way to live but I find that even in in like these little moments where I find myself getting upset, I do it subconsciously now. Like I, I at the beginning of this practice, I was, okay, Julie, take a pause, take a few breaths. How do you want to be? And then I could make that decision. But now it's like, it's very subconscious. Like I find myself getting snippy or aggravated or sad. And I don't need to pause anymore because I've been doing this for so long. And I say like, okay, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to get stuck in, in the clashes, right? Like in the, the mental states that cloud ourselves uh, from our true self. And it's almost like these little red flags come up. You know, they're like little messengers like little messenger ally friends if you will that make us say like okay I'm, I'm slipping into an emotion that I that isn't going to serve me or I'm slipping away from balance mm-hmm. or even like the present moment and instead of fighting those things what if it was possible to embrace them as like allies right like if I start to feel anxious about something that's mm-hmm. a sign that something's not right the art of allowing because then in that allowing time, we can come back to 
the moment so we can come back to what's true, like what's coming up in my body, what's coming up in my mind. It gives us space to decipher maybe why or if not why, what's next? How do we want to move forward? If something's not right, is there something that needs to be evaluated? And not not from a controlling factor, but from just like this is information about another way to be. It's empowering. I like that you made the distinction between like control there because that's that's mm-hmm. a part of like our pride, right? Asmita, that's like very trying to use our our pride or our ego or like our limiting beliefs to create something that we're once again like desiring or striving for that's the opposite of being content and allowing in the moment there is something that was coming up for me when you were talking about being in the moment and allowing and like being in the now and that is Yoga Sutra 1.1. That is Atha Yoga Anushasanam. And that means now yoga or now this is yoga. To break it down really, really simply, yoga is the union, right? Mind, body, spirit. Yoga is the union of, of us and the divine, of us and our joy, of us and our bliss. And that happens now, right here, not in the future, when we think about my day is ruined, I can't get the things done I need to do, not in the past, I should have done something differently, I should have anything. The the bliss and the joy, and really that's who we are at the innate core of our being, comes from mm-hmm. this moment right here. And to take it one step further, being content in this moment right here. And I think that you have to be present to be content. Where it gets messy, like the messy middle of like contentment and discontentment as humans and for myself, I think that they're different, you know, there's different energy behind what we consider sad and depressed versus like happy and joyful. And also making this distinction that neither are good or bad there are emotions in our body and we think or assume that because we're feeling one of those lower energy emotions like sadness or depression that something's wrong but the lesson that I Mm -hmm. am trying to take away and share is can you also be content while you feel sadness the practice should also be to be content while you're grieving or while you're upset about something. Mm-hmm. And even anger, you know, anger rightly focused is can be a boundary and can be protection. When we spin out on that emotion, because we can spin out on joy and happiness too, or we can spin out on anger and sadness and let us pull us further down, it's still a balance of the contentment of the middle. There was... A documentary on Billie Eilish that I watched and was obsessed with a few weeks ago. At the time this was recorded, I think she was like 18, and her awareness just blew me away. She was sitting in the car with her mother going somewhere, and I think she had just like broken up with her boyfriend. And she says, Mom, why can't someone just miss me? Why do they have to pretend that it's anything other than that? And her mom says, Mm. well, because it makes people sad when they acknowledge that they miss somebody. 
And she goes, well, then why can't they just be sad? Yeah. Why do we have to pretend that it's something different? Wow. I think that goes along with what you were saying about like identifying and feeling things in our bodies. I know that so many people in our society, even in our world, can mislabel what they're feeling. One of my best coaches was like, are you anxious or are you excited? Because they feel the same right. in my body, at least. I think that's an important distinction, too. Yeah. Like, are you mad or are you passionate? Are you right? There's so many different ways that we can use language to sort of flip the script or flip the perspective. But if we can just identify with those emotions, emotions are bad. You know, men can't express this. Women shouldn't express that. But I think that we're coming into a time that that's slowly being unveiled and because if For not sure. now, when? And it's so interesting. Yeah, the stigma around emotions, we label them. And we assume that one people, one person's mm. anger feels the same way to us. Anger can yeah. show up to, in different people in different ways. Or sadness. Or depression. Or fear. Fear has is the root cause mm. of a lot of emotions. And the first step is... Just be willing to feel them and to start identifying mm -hmm. them for yourself. And then also being willing to take responsibility for how you feel and not asking anybody else, which is like a whole nother ball of can of worms. It, when you feel something, not asking somebody else to fix it for you or process the emotion mm -hmm. for you. Hi there, it's Julian Lindsay here. We wanted to take a break from our conversation and ask for your support. If you've been enjoying your weekly woo, leave us a comment, rate us, review us, subscribe in your favorite podcast app. We've heard a lot of great feedback from you privately, and we're asking for your support publicly. Many of the things that we've heard privately is that this space is giving you an opportunity to listen to conversations that you wish you could hear more of. And we love that. So we want to support you through this process. Tell us what you like, what you want to hear more of. And of course, share it with a friend. Share it with someone who needs to hear the conversation. And hopefully it will inspire more conversations to be had in person. Depleted and trying to do the work at the same time, when you're not working from a full cup, that's when you start acting impulsively in making decisions that may not be mm. in the highest good for that moment. And it's just a consideration as you think about taking care yeah. about making choices of either taking care of yourself or being at an event or speaking up. You may always have the right heart and the right intentions, but if you're not grounded in yourself, people may not hear you in the, in the way that you intend. Yeah. The energy from what you speak mm. is all just as important and yeah. sometimes more important than what you speak. Yeah, totally. Do I, am I saying, ugh, I love this. <laughs> you can say the same sentence with different intention or emotion and it will be received completely different. Times have I said something to my father that was from a place of love, <laughs> but didn't come across that way. And it 
erupted into a huge fight, right? But how many times have I said something from a place of love that was really translated and, and spoken with love hits completely different, right? Language is powerful. Language is so powerful. Hearing and listening are two different things. Hearing is a vibration that you can hear in your eardrum. Listening is mm. paying attention to the language and what is said and how it runs through your body. You can hear someone's smile. You can hear someone's tension in their abdomen. You can hear it if you truly um, are present and listen, like wholeheartedly listen to somebody. I just took a, a class on reading the body from like Tona Yoga Lens, and there's so many ways that you can find out what someone's dealing with or their, their past based on how their body is held. You can also hear through someone's voice as well. So truly listening to someone, you can sort of fill in the blanks. You can hear what they're saying, but you can also really hear what they're not saying, right? So to distinguish, like how I defined it, hearing was like a vibration, but what you're saying is listening in between the lines. Like if we're talking about it from an embodied standpoint, listening between the lines. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, we don't want to assume other people's internal sure, or external sure. world, but there is some there is something you said about um, emotions a, a while back, and it made me think of something that I learned in Landmark, which I think coincides with what we're talking about right now, is feelings aren't always a good gauge of reality, meaning because we're feeling something, whether you identify an emotion or a thought or whatever, doesn't necessarily mean that that's true. Yes. It could be true for you, right? Mm -hmm. Like your own personal reality. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the reality, either one that you accept or the reality that other people experience around you. Perfect example my boyfriend could say something to me that I take the wrong way, right? Like he's like, hey, Joel, uh, we're going to not eat bread for the next five days. Immediately I'd think, why, because I'm fat? Like, no, jerk, because uh, we don't have any, right? Like very dumb example. But just because I took it that way didn't mean that that's what he was trying to say. Or my feelings could be really hurt by something that I perceived but nobody else around me perceived it that way. It doesn't mean it's less valid, right? It's true and valid and real. And I think the same could be said about listening and hearing. When somebody speaks, they could be really giving their all into what they're saying. And if somebody's not there to listen to it, or maybe even that listening was from a different perspective or it's just not, it's just not hitting, right? There's, there's that too. There is an emotional processing technique that I learned in Ayurveda school. My teacher, Katie Silcox taught it in school. She formed a couple of things together and like smashed them together and like created this process. So it was her experience in Tantra 
And I've taught this several times. It's one of the most impactful things that I'm able to do with a client one-on-one because Mm -hmm. I sit as a witness to their emotional spiral that may or may not be reality. They tell me what they're upset Mm -hmm. about. And then we go through and we ask, is that ultimately true? So it's identifying an emotional state and then identifying any negative or false beliefs that are based, that your behaviors are based on. It's like the stories that play around those emotions, right? Mm -hmm. And then when you identify them, you decide whether or not it gets to be your reality. And you choose another way of being. And you flip the script and you choose an opposite emotion of how you would rather feel, and you embody that emotion. Our feelings are not reality, but our science says is our body interprets messages, senses things before our mind does. Yeah. Where the disconnect is our body senses something and it's up to our mind to interpret it. And what happens in between point A and B are all the stories and lived experiences. Yeah. That's where things get a little confused. That's also why paying attention to the body and getting in tune with what is happening inside your body when you feel sad, when you feel like you can't trust someone, when you feel like you're in danger. Learning to trust those things is really important for survival, because that's where it comes from. But it can also tell us so much, give us so much more information if we start trusting ourselves. In the easiest way is, you know, if you've ever been in physical danger or been around someone who you thought caused you harm, you felt that in your body before you understood what was going on in your environment. Yeah. And kind of going on a tangent... (laughs) To pull it back around to contentment, (laughs) no emotion is good or bad. It's how do we find the stability and the calm in the midst of everything and taking radical self-responsibility for your physical health so that you can positively impact your community and take care of each other. And there's there's the practical practices of being grounded in the present moment of contentment is, is gratitude that is at its very core the beginning of the yoga sutras right it's 1.1 for a reason atha means now atha yoga anushasanam yoga now now is yoga yoga is the union and it's the union of all of the emotions all of the states all of everything and just being really grateful and being really, we, we can even say curious about this moment right here. Like curiosity didn't kill the cat. Curiosity brought the cat closer to its innate, infinite, highest self. I would really like to challenge everyone. If you're finding yourself in the messy middle, much like I am, of <laughs> the valley between contentment and discontentment is practice gratitude. And for me, energetically, what that looks like is getting up in the morning, pausing and reflecting and writing two or three things down that I'm, I'm grateful for. 
Mm. I'm happy that. I'm grateful that. If you find yourself feeling discontent, ask yourself why and notice Mm. what you're reaching for. And if you find yourself experiencing one of those mental states that clouds yourself from contentment, and then to look around and name five things that are beautiful. Name five things that you find beautiful or that you're grateful for or to really take in your surroundings at that moment. And sometimes we might be in a place that doesn't have any of those, right? But at the very core of who we are, it's always there. Like I have two feet below me that work. I have this crystal in my hand that (laughs) that keeps me grounded, right? Little things. And through the process of becoming aware, remembering, we can very easily come back into a mind state of contentment, no matter what the storm is around us or the waves of, of chaos at the surface. And to clarify, like when you're in a cloud and you're searching for things to be grateful for, that's not a way to bypass your feelings. What that really does is it reorients you to the room around you. It reorients your body to an actual reality so that you can then come back and deal with those clouds with a different state of mind. It's like not. And there's a difference, Totally. It's not reacting to the mind state. It's being a witness and a response. My reaction to chaos is going to be drastically different than what, what my response would be. If I just like took a moment, took a breath, hey, I'm grateful for X, Y, Z. Hey, there's beauty around me. It creates space. It creates just a little bit of a cushion between the emotion or the feeling and what the next right action is to move through that or just to to see it, to witness it. I loved every moment of this conversation. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Taking a page out of our book, out of Oprah's book from last session. Mm. (laughs) What do you know to be true? I don't know why I'm getting so emotional right now. Uh, I I actually do. I know why. Um, Because it's beautiful. I know that no matter what it is I'm going through, what struggle, what bump in the road, that everything that I need is already right here. And I'm pointing at the center of my chest, but it's already inside of me. Ease and contentment and happiness and joy is ultimately my birthright. It's everyone's birthright. And it is, it's right there. It's right here. Sometimes we cloud ourselves from it intentionally or unintentionally, but it's always available. And that in and of itself is just a beautiful thing to know. What do you know to be true? To be grateful in this moment because... It won't always be this way, Mm. good or bad, interpreted good or bad. We won't be able to recreate this moment. Mm. You can put the same people in the same room, in the same house, 
with the same music and you won't have the same party. And you'd be grateful for whatever the time is, right? Because we're alive right now. And if your life is less than perfect right now and you're in pain and sitting with it is too much, just know that you do have a community that wants to support you. And that's why we're here. If you're listening to this and feeling like any of it hits, you'd like to explore or talk or work through any bits or pieces of it, you can always reach out to myself or Lindsay, a therapist, a friend, a teacher. There are always resources around to help you, but you do have to take responsibility and ask, asking for help. So feel free to reach out to us if you're feeling any any some sort of way and want to work through it. That's what we're here for. Until next time. Hmm. Until next time. Thanks for joining us.